Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. I heard somebody call my name. They said, Lynn Cullen, here I is. And uh, I got company today, <laughs> which is which is such a relief. I have to tell you, I'm having, <laughs> I'm having company more and more, uh-huh. Jesse, because normally what I do on this show is talk about the news. Uh-huh. And you can imagine the day yeah. after day talking about what the hell's going on in this Especially country. Especially by yourself, yeah. <sighs> I mean, it's seriously, yeah, it's, it's enervating. And, it, yeah. and it's, um, I, th- I think, I actually got to the point where I thought it was life-threatening. Yeah, I mean, I really. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you gotta, you know, self care, especially and in this political climate. Oh dear God! It just gets God. worse and worse. <laughs> dear God, <laughs> it does. Yeah, I and will when never you think it can't get worse. It gets worse. That's the thing. Yeah. I was just gonna say that what we used to say is, well, it can't get any worse. That phrase is <clears throat> forever yeah. banished because, in fact, quite yeah. the opposite seems to be true. Yeah, for so many different uh, talking about the news every day for an hour by yourself would yes be, would be look at turn my hair gray <laughs> <laughs> i'm going there too so that's what happens <laughs> i like gray hair i oh i love it i think it's beautiful yeah so this woman is whoo i mean i have not i, I mean talked to her much at all before <laughs> right now we talked about little things like her grandmother is from green bay Wisconsin. Yeah. that's so cool mm-hmm does she talk like this? A little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she oh, lived there for hey. a long, long time. Well, then, yeah, yeah you talk I've, like that. Yeah, and I've been there. It's My mother still lives there. Does she? Yeah. What brought you here? Uh, a job. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I came to work for uh, WTAE-TV. Okay. After a divorce. That's sort of what happened, right? You know, the, yeah. I got divorced. Uh, he was a lawyer. Uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, where yeah. I was on TV, and it, it's a small, it, you yeah. know, and, and I thought, well, he's hung out a shingle. I, I guess I'm the one who's supposed to yeah. leave town yeah. because I'm not a nomadic type. I'm very. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I put down roots. See, I thought I was a nomadic type because that's how I grew up, but now I, and I came to Pittsburgh and thought I would be here a really short time, and it's been 12 years. That's and now what I happened. I can't imagine living somewhere else. I'm so entrenched here, which I know. is really weird. It's nice, though. There's <laughs> it is. Stabi- yeah. There's a kind of, uh, stabi- okay, enough already. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- you are, are, are just, I mean, your bio's mind-blowing to me. So I, I cannot wait to talk to you. Okay. However, you have to know, okay, here, let me just do some of the bio. God. <laughs> this woman is a writer, and in fact, a writer whose work has appeared in the Washington Post, mm-hmm. which means she's a writer, <laughs> and a bunch of other vice, uh, queer Pittsburgh. The Washington Post is, you get more cred for that than queer Pittsburgh, yeah, I think. Yeah. I, I think. And... Um, Men's health, the establishment. Yeah. Okay. The establishment. See, I don't know what that is. The establishment. It's a um, it's a offshoot of medium, but it's women centered. Okay. Women writers and queer writers. She is a uh, she teaches at Pitt. Uh, she is uh, has a master's from Berkeley. Yeah. A uh, almost a doctorate from Duquesne. Uh, almost. Well, well <laughs> I, I, I I'm a PhD dropout. <laughs> I know a lot of PhD dropouts. Um, I mean, p- you put in people who put in three, four years and say, "Fuck it." And, that's and what I did. That's I what you did. I just walked out four years. I was like, I can't do this. You know, I just got Wait, tired of that fight. I was like, it's not worth it. Yeah. I, I actually sat down and I I mapped it out and I was like, okay, so the best case scenario, I make it through this program and I get this particular job. Do I want that job? Do I want to fight with? Because I was in philosophy and philosophy is really. Oh, this was for a PhD in philosophy. In philosophy. <laughs> oh, my head hurts. My head hurts. Yeah. And, and then what th- that allows you to just simply teach philosophy, yeah, right? Right. And you can't you just set up a little shop on the corner saying philosophy. No, no. <laughs> have like a peanut stand. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> no, yeah. So I just decided that the best case scenario wasn't even really something I wanted, so I, I left. Gee whiz. <laughs> okay. And I don't regret it. I have a fun life. It took me eight years to get a, a BA, so I, I, I can't even. I so cannot even imagine. But 
Okay. Uh, and uh, your your teaching though at Pitt in women gender, and gender sexuality stu- and women's studies. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not done. She is uh, the mother of three, including a two-year-old whose birthday's today. Yeah, it's her birthday. Yeah, and uh, a two-year-old and two teenagers. God almighty. And <laughs> she is an XBIZ nominated... XBiz. XBiz nominated amateur clip producer. Yeah, I got nominated for a porn award. That's what that means. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I mean? Uh, got nominated for a porn. Do you know Stormy Daniels? No. Oh, okay. Stormy Daniels is a little above my level. Uh, uh, yeah. Big, uh, okay. A little bigger. And, and you're also an alternative model. Yeah. Meaning that you don't fit the. No, yeah. Does alternative model mean I'm not? Yeah. I don't. I don't. I'm not six foot tall. I'm not. Don't look like I have anorexia. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm and tattooed and. Everyone's tattooed, <laughs> but you got one arm that's really yeah. Good, but, yeah. And this oh, one but this too. one too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's weird. So you have lipstick on that yeah, and a fan and shoes and an umbrella. And umbrella. Yeah. What is that all? What? So why? Know, so uh, it's like my femme collection of femme it's, stuff. It's that's all very feminine yeah. stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, the red umbrella is a symbol of sex worker uh, rights and sex worker. Um, Did I mention she's a sex worker? The we porn award has probably implied that. Well, and I, I, I don't, but. Um, yeah, the shoe is from my wedding. We did a, a friend of ours set up a, um, like an invitation for our wedding, and we had a symbol of mine and a symbol of my husband's, and so he has the other tattoo, like the complimentary thing. The male tattoo? It's a, it's actually a, uh, like a Victrola. So we just set, because he's a sound person, so, um, so you don't mean that. sane. You mean he works in audio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's an audiophile, I should say. Okay. Um, yeah, and I just thought the fan was pretty. It is pretty. But so what's on that arm? Um, these are all flowers. Flowers. And they're, um, they're in the style of Mexican flowers from Frida Kahlo's paintings. So the tattoo artist who did them, I gave him a ton of her paintings and said I didn't want it to be like a representation of her, but just take those sorts of flowers. So he created this flower. So I'm one of the few people left on earth who's not tattooed. And I want to say that I am sometimes blown away by the artistry of these people who do this work. Yeah, these are all done by Michelle Joy at Gypsy Tattoo, and she does a very old, like, um, uh, illustrator style, like, block, woodblock style. Yeah, I'm amazing. The pain! No, it doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt that much? (laughs) I don't think it's that big of a deal. I'm surprised when people are like, oh, it's so terrible. I'm like, "Eh." nah, no big deal. Okay, Jessie Sage. I don't even know if I said her name. Jessie Sage. And uh, she also is uh, a columnist for Pittsburgh City Paper. Woo! And she has a podcast called Peep Show. Yep. Right? The Peep Show podcast. Yep. Peep Show. God, you're so... How can you have a two-year-old, two teenagers, be a, 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 a <laughs> professor and, um, and, and do porn stuff and, and uh, pleasure people you don't even know on the phone or TV <laughs> or the computer, whatever the hell it is you're doing. How can you do all that? Um, that's a really good question. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit crazy. You know, <laughs> just trying to etch out a life. I don't know. Um, I don't, I do it, I kind of triage stuff. I don't do everything all at once, you know. Yeah. I haven't done any, um, there's some work that I've been doing a lot more of. Like this fall, I've spent way more time on writing and teaching. And over the summer, I'll spend more time. I, I always do the phone stuff because I like that. But Okay, we got to get to the phone stuff because I don't even understand it. Okay, so the phone stuff. How does that work? So, you, I mean, seriously, take me through it. How does a... Is it uh, uh, phone sex with guys, or can it be with a woman? Can it be with a I mean, couple? It can it be with, be with a woman? I've never had that happen. Okay. I totally welcome women. It would be awesome if a woman actually called me, okay. but that's never happened. Um, so they call. They call you. How do they? So how do you advertise that you're? Yeah. So there's. So phone sex has evolved. Actually, it started in 
84, like, um, but when it started, it was audio recordings of people's voices, and then it went to a model, a call center model, and a lot of this has to do with the dismantling of, like, the monopoly of, uh, like, this is the history of I am, I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> the monopoly of phone sex? No, no, no. no. Of the monopoly of what? Of the phone lines. So in... Oh. in so you a, mean when AT&T was broken up, yeah, it got phone sex? Yeah, yeah. They're, those are really, really closely linked, because what happened is... Um, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, High Society, the magazine, which was like a smut magazine in the 80s, um, had this idea that um, they were, their sales were going down. And so one of the editors at the paper was like, what if we put it like a centerfold and gave a number that wasn't really her, but that people could call in and... Um, then they paid to like hear a recording of her voice and they hired actors to do that and it blew up. This happened like six months before AT&T was broken and when that happened, uh, AT&T auctioned off a bunch of 18874, whatever the number was. It was, was. probably just 1-800 then, that's all there was, Yeah, Yeah, so they auctioned off several of those lines and High Society bought them and when they did that, then they set up um, like the first sort of phone sex system and what it looked like for a long time up until the internet is that women would go well for a while it was recorded voices but then women would go to call centers and they would take like any call center and they would take calls now it doesn't look like that at all I've never worked like that now everything is internet based and there's a couple of different platforms that run ads and people call the ads and it gets diverted to like our cell phones so we just say when we're on and when we're off. Like, I can take calls whenever. Okay, so it's catch as catch can on your end. I mean, you don't know who's coming down the pipe. Mm -mm, no. I mean, I have a lot of regulars. You do? Yeah. So somebody can specifically say, I want. Well, yeah, because that's how it works now. So when it was but a call center model, they couldn't do that because a dispatcher would just send yeah. calls to whoever was there. And that's kind of interesting history. But now how it works is that we all operate for ourselves and we have ads and People can say, like, we advertise what we like to talk about or what we're interested in or what our personality is and then put pictures up and then people pick us, you know, and then they'll call the specific person that they want. I'm very, um, I do it from myself and my own, like, I use my own pictures and use my own name or my Jesse Sage name. Um, but a lot of people buy model sets and are like totally anonymous so there's a lot of there's a lot of older women who are doing it who are using younger women's pictures um i know a woman who's been in it for 20 years um she's kind of a mentor of mine and she has so many different personas and characters and she told her kids that she hopes she dies a slow death because she needs to kill off all of her characters <laughs> she can't just disappear because it's a whole every one of them is part of her she yeah has to she has to like in uh, these stories because she has different clients and customers who call her different personas and um, she has ongoing 10-year stories, 10-year relationships going on with some people. So how much, wait, I got so many questions. How much does a, you get paid for a session? Uh, $2 a minute. $2, and what's the average, how long does it, I vary $2 a minute? I get, once they cut a little bit, I don't know, I make like 70 or 80 bucks an hour. Wow. So, yeah. I, I mean, that's better than I, but it's a lot more money than I get paid for writing. <laughs> It's a lot more money than I get paid for this. <laughs> it's a lot more money than anybody in this room is getting paid. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I Maybe I better work on my, my sexy voice. Okay, so do you, I mean, if it's computer, can they see you? I mean, I know some women do it just yeah, audio. Yeah, I mean, that, that you charge like four bucks a minute for. Like, that's more expensive. Like, I mean, people can charge more than that. People can charge whatever they want. But, like, the going rate now, and this is just information you could easily find by, like, looking at the sites, is $2 a minute just to talk, $4 a minute to turn your camera on. And they turn their camera on so you see who you're talking yeah, to? Yeah, sometimes. Ugh, that could be a no. Yeah, I had the weirdest experience recently where I <laughs> no, I mean, I, it's just surprising sometimes. It's fine if it's the first time you've met them. If you've talked to them for a year or two and you have no idea what they look like, yeah. and then suddenly they're like, here's a picture of me. I'm like, 
wait, what? <laughs> That's not at all what you thought. Yeah, and right. not, not necessarily because it's bad. Like, it's just... Well, it's I mean, like if you hear a voice on the radio and you assume... Yeah, and then you, and you see their see picture and, and, and you're like, like, wait, that's not what I had yeah, in my head yeah, after having right. like a really long relationship with somebody. Or yeah. even if it's just like a listening relationship or something. Right, yeah. right. So you were going to say you, you had a, an experience where... Ow, ow. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's see. just like a fairly normal experience, I think. I have been talking to someone for a couple of years and I had in my head that he... I don't know why I had this idea, but I had in my head that he was like... A nerdy computer programmer and then he sent me a picture of and I've talked to him fairly often and then he sent me a picture the other day and he is like an Italian guy with a big gold chain and I was like wait I thought he was like a nerdy white guy with like you know gold rim glasses like that's you're <laughs> totally I don't know why yeah well but <laughs> like you <laughs> don't either yeah so I mean there was like nothing like it was just not what I expected <laughs> So I got to tell you, I I didn't know what to think of. I, I, I in preparation for this, I I I, I read of some of your your columns, and uh, uh, Lisa Cunningham, our our editor, had sent me uh, some of them. And oh my God, I mean, oh my God, the I, I what? Let's can we just the you know? Once you start with sex. It's like, it's an endless uh, subject. I mean, yeah, I mean, I hope that means I have some job security. <laughs> well, don't I you could. think sex must be one? I mean, other than food and life, or is it all part of that? I mean, one of the most the motivating yeah. kind of impulses a human yeah. has? Yeah, I mean, that's... How, I do. I think that. I think that's also why it's so interesting to me. To well, it's so fraught, though. And if you look at how man—I use the term loosely—humanity huma has has um, created social uh, structures and uh, stuff, so m and religious structures and all mm -hmm. that stuff. So much of it seems, at heart, <laughs> to be about controlling sexuality yeah yeah Isn't I it? mean yeah and I think that's one of the things that makes it really that it's one of the things I think that drives me in my work is that there's so much there's so much shame around sexuality oh my people God. have people have so much shame and they're taught it yeah, yeah I mean in every I don't know is there a religion that doesn't teach shame a major religion that doesn't somehow make you not in the Judeo-Christian no, church. No, well, that's where most of us are coming <laughs> right, from. Yeah. Okay, and I would think uh, Islam is the same right. because I, yeah. you know, there's a lot of Muslim women walking around covered in, uh, you know, black yeah. cloths. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just, I don't. Yeah, yeah, and so I think there is, there's a lot of shame, and I think that people don't have a way of talking about their shame, and they don't have a way of talking about their sexuality or their desires, which is actually one of the reasons that I like phone sex so much is that most of it is not sex most of it is mm. um i think that people have this idea that i i actually should just speak for myself because i think people practice very differently mm -hmm. and so there are probably some people who want to have a lot of some people who are working in phone sex who want to do very quick one-offs with people and start off moaning and things like that I never work like that because I'm much more interested in where people are coming from, what they want, what they're interested in, what sort of blocks they feel like they have, um, and just in general, like about. Well, you're their like life. going to a shrink. It is. <laughs> so I and it's my like average call is like an hour, an hour and fifteen minutes because. It was actually funny. The other day I had somebody call who was obviously like masturbating when I picked up the phone. And then I started asking him what he was doing and what he was thinking about and where he was coming from. And we talked for 70 minutes. And then he was like, you know what? I don't really need to come. That was a good talk. I think I'm just going to go to bed. I'll call back another time. <laughs> I like talked him right out of sex. <laughs> Which, yeah, maybe that's not a good sales pitch for no, me. No, no, but, <laughs> but that is, I mean, that he stayed there that long yeah. because you had. He just started talking to me about his life and the history of his relationships and what was, what worked for him and what didn't work for him and how he found himself single now and what that meant to him and what he was going to look for in the future. And So you're not, you're not, I'm guessing, a 
judgmental kind of a person. No. Not at all? No. <laughs> no, I think people should do what they want to do. What makes them happy? What makes them feel good? I think that they should be ethical. I, I'm judgmental against, obviously against like rape culture, obviously against coercion of any sort. Um, but but as long as people are treating each other well, I don't. I'm not judgmental about particular sexual practices or relationship structures or anything like that. Okay, you know what? Do you realize? I mean, do you realize? I'm saying to her, um, it's astonishing to me how far we've come in just the last, I don't know what, 20, 30 mm -hmm. years. I mean, mm -hmm. I, in the last 20, 30 years, we've upended, it seems, um, millennia of ideas about what constitutes feminine, uh, women, you know, what a woman is, what yeah. a man is, what I, gender in general. Uh, yeah. And I think a lot of people are, their heads are spinning more mm -hmm. traditional people yeah. i think their heads are about ready to explode yeah um and you I would understand that yeah i mean i feel like i feel like that's the narrative that we tell but actually that's only been there was a return to there was a really strong emphasis on um like heteronormative family structures in the 1950s true um, that w we're still trying to recover and come out of that. But prior to that thing, there was actually a lot more um, openness about sex and also about gender. In Western culture? Yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah, in Western culture. I mean, uh, if, wow. if we even look at things like trans, I mean, a colleague of mine just came out with a book, um, History of the Transgender Child, or something like that. Um, and one of the main arguments of his book is that there was plenty of room for trans identities prior to 1950 and so we have this idea that like that I mean I'm just using that as an example is something new in our culture now but that's just because it got like thoroughly shut out like starting in the 1950s um, so the 50s you see is an extremely repressive era yeah, uh, yes, I mean... That's I, when I grew up. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying, no wonder <laughs> I am so fucked up. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think that if we're going to look at the history of, like, the West and, and their ideas about gender and sexuality, that that was kind of the height of emphasis on the nuclear family, on hetero pairing, on... Um, uh, sexual norms and there's also a lot of misogyny going on yeah. I mean where women are really uh, after they've proven in World War two right that they could do men's work that they can right. do all this stuff step up blah 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 they're shoved right back right. into a yeah very constrained yeah very, very narrow possibility for right. women's lives and agency right yeah and that's I that's how I grew up not having any sense that I was for anything other than yeah uh, right that but and that and then so that I end up doing what I ended up doing I mean that's a yeah but you have your you know your own career and stuff what do you think helped you to I have change not a clue I went nuts I mean <laughs> I was a mess yeah I mean I was uh, I was just a mess it's why it took me eight years to get out of college I was like what the f I couldn't I didn't know. Yeah. I, I was trying to transition into something that made some sense, yeah. but I had no. There was no mentors, no, right. no, no role models, no nothing. Yeah. I never had a sense of myself as being able to have a career or a, um, a whatever, or to live without a man, <laughs> yeah. or um, to be a parent without a man which yeah. is i became a, i was a single parent yeah. i am a single parent <laughs> don't worry you kid i'm still i'm still here i'm still i'm still your mom yep yeah that never right. stops <laughs> oh god oh and there are days when you when you it's like a life sentence a life sentence i did it three times Jeez, wow, can't <laughs> imagine. Well, we're going to get so far afield here. I don't, oh, God, Jesse, what can we, um, hey, guys, you know, you could ask, you, email me questions and stuff if I'm not getting into the kind of thing that you would be interested in. Do your students know that you're, uh, that you have, s 
that you know you give them homework and then you go home and have sex for money yeah they do know that well cool. i mean i <laughs> that's part of what i'm doing there i mean i got hired in part because they didn't have representations of sex workers and sex workers have a lot to say about gender and a lot to say about um uh yeah, sexuality, and so there. I have incorporated into my syllabus a lot of sex worker writings from people that are within my community, including some of the writing that I've done. And I told them on the first day of class, this has been something that's been difficult to negotiate for me because I started teaching way before I started any of this work, so it's kind of new to have to integrate that. Um, but I told I. I, you know, I told them at the first day of class, like, I am coming at this from a sex worker perspective, from a sex worker rights one. I organized sex worker, um, like, sex worker, a sex worker rights group within the city. Like, I can't actually hide that because I have a lot of public presence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. So, is there something, there's, uh, speaking of your organizing sex worker things, there's something coming up on Monday that, yeah, what was it? Yeah, December 17th is the International Day to End Violence Against Sex Workers. So I help organize SWAP, which is a sex worker outreach project, and we're doing a, not just our chapter, so that's a, like an international yeah. group, SWAP. And so we have a Pittsburgh chapter here, which actually just recently started so it's been going for about a year but we're really new and just trying to get established here in the city but um we're along with a bunch of other chapters all over the country doing a um, vigil so what we're gonna do is get together have a little ceremony talk about the sex workers that we've lost over the years so we have a list of 49 sex workers this year in 2018 who've been murdered on the job. So, in, it, it, not in Pittsburgh. No, in the country. In the country, yeah. The international list is much, much longer. We wouldn't even have time to read the names of all of the people internationally. And obviously, phone sex is safer in that regard. Oh, You're yeah. talking about. Yeah, yeah prostit prostitution. Yeah, and mostly trans sex workers. So, I mean, there are cis women who've also been murdered, um, but trans women and particularly trans women of color are targeted really uh, the worst um and so i mean that's like a lot of intersecting issues obviously like violence towards trans women and trans and sex workers are coming together there to make that job particularly dangerous for them um but yeah uh full service workers particularly marginalized full service workers gotcha. yeah full service workers yeah that's what they're called yeah and do they still like work in the old way, like for a pimp and stuff like no. that? A lot of them. No, that no. doesn't. That's not I mean, right. that exists, but that's not the dominant thing that happens. Really? So that these yeah. are independent operators. Yeah, and that's the problem with FOSTA SESTA. So I don't know how much you know about that, but uh, problem with what? FOSTA SESTA. So FOSTA SESTA is a law that um, was signed this year uh, in Mar in. April, March or April, I'm now forgetting, um, that's going to go into effect in 2019 at the beginning of January. It's and a federal law? It's a federal law. Okay. Um, it stands for, it's a anti-trafficking law, but the problem is that, and what it did is it changed, uh, so there was a, um, there was a protection against websites like Craigslist or any, like, website, any website, um, that said that you can't get in trouble for what third-party people post. So if somebody posts an ad to Craigslist, uh, Craigslist isn't held responsible for what they post. So this, uh, and so what FOSTA SESTA did is say, actually, all of those websites are held responsible for anything that third-party post, and if we assume that there's any sort of, like, trafficking going on, then the websites could get shut down. So they define trafficking to be like really, really broad though. Um, so even sex worker rights organizations like SWAP were concerned like if we are passing information about how to be safe, for example, like is that going to be considered trafficking because they, uh, because it's so, their definition is so broad. So um, this is a big problem because things that and this is where I'm getting to with the pimps, things that were happening is that mo the, a huge majority of the uh, current sex workers were not working the streets and they were not working with pimps. They instead were placing ads like you do for sex, w for um, 
phone sex, like in the same sort of way. And it also meant that they could do a ton of screening. So right. it made them safe. Not only could they do screening, but they could also talk to each other about like who is uh, who's safe and who's not safe and <laughs> who should we avoid. And they re did references for each other and things like that. And all of those got shut down. So Craigslist personals got shut down. Backpage got shut down, which was the biggest problem, particularly for the most marginal people, because um, Backpage was a website that didn't cost a lot of money to place ads in. Mm -hmm. So people who were formerly walking the streets and were in really precarious situations um, and weren't really high-end escorts that made a lot of money could place the ad in Craigslist and or in Backpage rather and still screen their clients. And when Backpage got shut down um, and the furry website shut down too because they were afraid there's been <laughs> really yeah. the furries the furries shut down um they shut down their personal their website because they were afraid that they might get in trouble if there was any sort of transaction so a lot of places where people were working to be much safer like now push, are back out now on they're the street. back out on the street so Jesus. um <laughs> and Additionally, there was like no money attached to those bills that would provide services to help trafficking victims. It was just further criminalized everything. Um, so that's what our legislators do. That's the, the only thing they can seem to do is right. criminalize everything. What you just said. Right. <laughs> all right, it's all illegal. Everybody to jail. I mean, really, it's just unbelievable. Right. Um, God, there's so much to talk about. Wait a minute. You said. <laughs> That you, uh, when you started teaching, you weren't doing the sex work. So what got, what happened that you started doing? Oh, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm a philosophy, uh, doctoral <laughs> philosophy. I'm working on my doctorate in philosophy. You were not doing sex work when you were doing no, I that. Wasn't. Mm -mm. So, and then you got, you start teaching. What, um, what happened? I mean, how do well, you make that? It, it actually wasn't a big jump. Um, so what I was doing, it, it, it's, it made sense in my life. So what I was doing when I was working in my PhD is I was talking about, I was doing feminist philosophy and I was working on female embodiment. Um, a lot of work, the work that I did was on female sexuality uh, and some of, and a lot of it was also on pregnancy and the maternal body. And um, I was getting really frustrated with the work that I was doing because it seemed really abstract um, and everyone that I was reading was talking about things in the abstract and they, a lot of feminist philosophers also talk about sex work in ways that I was thinking, I don't, none of them are doing this work, I don't know that they, uh, what they're saying um, doesn't seem to speak to real experiences and so. So it was really top down stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah was, their uh, work was really top down and it didn't seem to be connected to the lives of people who were doing the work. Yeah. And so I didn't start um, in sex work. What I did is I got trained to be a doula um, and started doing a lot of birth work. Um, and I did that in the last year that I was in my PhD program thinking I'm going to do, I'm going to go and do births. I'm going to help coach women through these processes. And then I'm going to have a lot more grounded uh, experiences to tie into my work but what happened was that I did that and I didn't want to do the abstract work anymore <laughs> I just was you like this is so much yeah. more important than any of the work that I'm doing and that ivory tower stuff yeah, yeah. like nobody it's even reads that stuff right. so <laughs> <laughs> I was like who is this right. for this isn't for anyone yeah and yeah. so I um well, I see why you quit then. yeah so, so I, I quit yeah. and yeah. When I quit, I thought that I wanted to be a midwife, that I wanted to go to school to be a midwife. Um, and I actually would, in my, like, heart, I would love to be a midwife. Like, I could see myself doing that. But that would require, I'm a humanities person. I would have to go to nursing school. I, I would do have all to, that like, science stuff. do all the science Aye. that I don't really want to do. But that's not the uh, limiting factor. I was also going through a divorce and doing a bunch of stuff. So I couldn't do that. And unfortunately, I also can't make a living as a doula. Like there's just the payment structure for that is really problematic, um, even though the work is really amazing. So I also stopped doing that. And in at the same time, um, my husband was doing, a, he's still doing it, he's finishing his PhD, but he was, he's been writing on cam models. So he was interviewing a lot of cam models. Um, and Wait, a lot of who? Can't, like, um, Cam, like 
so <laughs> cam models are people who they're online sex workers who do live shows like Skype type oh, of shows, okay, okay, right? Okay. Um, and we know a lot of people who were doing a lot of camming and I was really interested in what they were doing. So um, I thought that I would try it out and see if camming was something that was interesting to me. And it turns out like camming is not interesting to me, but <laughs> I don't really like it. Um, but, but I gave it like a real honest try. Um, and I don't really like it because I'm, I'm an introvert. Like I'm not a, <laughs> I like one-on-one -on -one conversations. I really like to like dive into. Um, so a cam model is just doing um, it, they're, they're, they're doing this thing that then goes not to yeah, a specific... Yeah, to like a big room. So the way that yeah. camming works is that you have your room, you have your like a cam like this, you have your cam on, yeah. and then you have a bunch of people who come into your room and there's like a sidebar and they can talk to you. I see. But it's, I mean, there are cam models who are way more skilled than me who have like really good relationships with their clients, but I'm not good at the one-on-many. Like, I like one-on-one yeah, -on -one -on -one. interactions. Yeah. Um, and... So it didn't really make that. So I tried it because I was like, I listen to a lot of stories of like cam models and I read um, and I run this podcast. And so I was like, well, I should try it. But I didn't particularly like it. And so um, what somebody was doing phone sex and they were like, you should try that out. You might like it. And the first day I did that, I was like, I'll do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> It's like it's, it's my well, yeah, like I it's understand. my medium, you know. <laughs> it's like the first time I somebody shoved me into a yeah, into a radio studio. I said, "But I've never even listened to talk radio, but I I don't know what you do." They said, "Just do it. You're, you'll be a natural." I sat within 5 minutes. Yeah. It was like, "Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is like, ah." Yeah. It's weird. You just it is weird. know it. Yeah. And I was really so, nervous. And then somebody called and I still talk to him actually. It's been a couple of years, but he calls me like once a month. He, the first person that called me was a psychology professor and we talked about his wife dying and oh. all sorts of stories um, about nice relationships. You know, a lot people. of people say, oh, how sad though. So why can't he find a woman well, in he his does. life. <laughs> he dates. Well, here's the thing. And we've talked, I mean, this is, um, he's, this actually, he makes a lot of sense to me. What he says, this is what I, I've gathered from a lot of conversations with him. He still, yeah, I'll sit Sorry. closer. He, um, <laughs> he still loves his wife and he, so he can't, he can't like be emotionally available to somebody else in the way that he thinks that he should. And oh. so in order to, so he has these, relationships with sex workers um in order to have some sort of a connection but then he checks out for a month you know and like if you're trying to have a relationship with someone you can't that's do really that. difficult but yeah it's fine for me <laughs> you yeah. know it doesn't bother me and you can have these i you know a lot of people assume that transactional sexual relationships aren't meaningful but you can have really like you can have very meaningful relationships with people what about you falling in love with some of these people I've never actually had that happen. You haven't. <laughs> no. What is your husband? Your husband doesn't feel threatened by no, it. No, it's it's different. It's very bounded. I think that's that's why um, I I think that's why it feels safe for him. You know, for this particular client, but for a lot of people who use uh, sex workers in this way, it's bounded. It's you know within that particular context of that call or that date or that interaction, and so. Um, you know, I've had people tell me that they love me, but it almost feels like a um, a fantasy, like the fantasy of being in love. Um, and it's never felt to me threatening to my real life. And you don't feel compelled to say I love you too, because that would not be true. No, I never no, say I, that. No, because no. it's not honest. Right. Either. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm very uh, open to, like, letting people express what they need to express because I feel like in in those moments, I think maybe somebody needs to feel that. They need to feel connected. They maybe are missing being able to tell someone during sex that they love them or something. And so I'm okay with letting them express that. But I'm not going to set up, you know, unrealistic expectations by <laughs> saying it back. So you wrote one of your columns about... Um, Oh, I mean, you could write books and books and books about uh, women uh, being so extraordinarily damaged uh, because of this ideal that we yeah. none of us can meet. 
and it starts when you're just a little girl. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I mean, I know I am burdened to this yeah. day by, you know, I think we hate, all are. hatred of, yeah. of my body, of parts of it, because it's yeah. not. That is so damaging, and men generally don't have that at no. all. No, and here's the weird thing about it to me. I mean, I've interviewed so many sex workers for my writing, for my podcast, and um, just uh, they're also my friends, so we have these conversations. And one of the things that's been like a consistent pattern of a lot of the women that I've talked to is that doing this sort of work has actually helped them to undo a lot of that, which I think is not what people expect. Um, that people that, I mean, it's, I don't want to frame this as like validation from men because I don't actually think that that's what it is. I think that there's, that human desire is much more expansive than we assume it to be. I oh think, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think yeah. that we have this idea that we're supposed to be a particular thing, but but that's not even what everybody wants. And so to to is are white women more screwed up about this than black women in um, your estimation? You know, that's actually really interesting. So I I wrote a couple pieces for Vice where I talked about uh BBW like the categorization of BBW, which is big beautiful women. So it's a category like within porn, but also it's kind of bled out to outside of porn as well. Who, so I talked to a lot of women who are classified as BBWs um, to talk to them about how they feel about this classification. And um, the thing that was really interesting to me is I also talked to a lot of black women. And for uh, the white women, they dealt a lot more with that. And the black women who were identified as BBWs, they said that they didn't have a lot of people give them a hard time about weight. It was more racialized. So for like the sort of harassment that you get on cam rooms, for example, because not all interactions are positive, obviously. Like I can't say that all interactions are positive, but um, a lot of um, white women would talk about like having their bodies scrutinized in particular ways, and black women were like, yeah, that kind of happens, but they're much more interested in talking about my race than they are talking mm. about my body, um, or talking about fat in particular, if we're going to like talk about fat. Um, so that's interesting. I mean, I'm, I, I'm a white woman, so I can't really speak to that, yeah, but all yeah. I can say is that um, in talking to a lot of different women, this the way that these things work out, the the way that clients interact are different based on race. With monogamy, the, uh, you know, the mono monogamy, it's what we're supposed to monogamy. do. Monogamy. Yeah. <laughs> With life expectancy, you know, people live in, like my mom, 96, okay? And I is it even rational to expect two people to no <laughs> I don't I think too. I don't I think mean, so I no, don't think we're wired not. that way <laughs> no we're not, obviously not wired that way right men not wired that way yeah. more so than even but women. I don't think women but are women wired aren't either yeah no, I agree but no I and I mean this is kind of what I talked about in this week's column is that it seems to me like a lot of the conflicts that a lot of people have about their sexuality has to do with not just having one partner but having an expectation of having one partner that's supposed to meet all of your sexual needs all, all and emotional needs and everything else. I mean, that's just friggin' impossible. <laughs> it is. And if you have mismatched desires, like, I think that we're in a culture that wants to throw out a relationship just because you don't have the same, you know, desires. Isn't which, that a shame? Yeah, which seems really stupid. I mean, you could instead just negotiate having, like, if you have a spanking fetish and you, like, okay, so here's all, um, I'll go back to a client was talking to me about this, and this makes a lot of sense. He, um, when I first started, a lot of people would call, a lot of couple people, married men or men with girlfriends, and they would talk about why they didn't tell their spouses what they wanted. And I used to think that that was really sad when I first started, and I'd be like, why don't they talk to them? But then um, then in t one one person in particular said to me, I don't want to ask, he, he had a spanking fetish, which is why that came up in my head. He's like, I don't want to talk 
to her about that and ask her to do it. Not because she won't do it or she'll judge me, but because she will do it because she loves me, but she's not into it. And I don't want to put this like pressure on her to perform something for me that she's not going to feel good about. And so he's like, I just don't want to. Like, I don't want the, that to be like part of our relationship. I'd rather just spend 70 bucks, you know, and have you tell me that you're going to spank me or whatever. Um, and that makes a lot of sense to me. That's not how I want my relationship to be. Like, I'm a very open person, and I would rather tell my spouse, like, what I want and don't want and then negotiate it from there. But I understand why people, yeah, I understand you know, that too. do set up their relationships in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jeez. You have, I don't even know what, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not even getting to any of this stuff that I intended to get to. Um. You're pretty uh, strong about uh, your. You have a trans son. Is that something you've written about? That it is something I've written about. Do yeah. You want, I mean, is that something? I mean, uh, yeah. We can. I mean, well, I don't know how he feels <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I don't get. I don't bring my son into my work very much. Right. Yeah. I asked his permission. I'll just say this. I asked his permission before I wrote the column about his trans. I I actually wrote it about his name change in particular. And that was so, I read that and I was sobbing last night. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, Yeah. And I asked. Can you, can, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I asked his permission to write that and said that I wasn't going to use his name or anything. And he said that I could write it and he read it and he liked it. Um, I was surprised because I thought he was going to ask to see it before I, you know, sent it away to publication. But he was like, no, I trust you. Just show it to me later. Um, No, I mean, when I felt compelled to write about his name and gender marker change because because Trump (laughs) um, issued a statement that said that he wanted to... Uh, stop people from uh, being able to change their name and gender marker. Right. On I, we've talked about, I think I've mentioned that, that the yeah. Trump administration, uh, not surprisingly, uh, wants things like they used to be so that you are, you're born a girl, you're a girl. Right. You're and born a boy, you're a boy. And they want to make that into... And it doesn't even make any sense because <laughs> sex doesn't work like that. And there are a ton of like intersex people and even the biology isn't right like that Trump right. is trying to expose spouse right. but let's like take that off the table it doesn't matter if he's right or not about that um I felt compelled to write about it because my ha- my kid being able to get legal recognition for his name and his gender so he wanted to change his yeah, his so there, it, it, I didn't know any of this. So you go to court. You go to court, um, and you you have to get a note from your do- from your endocrinologist, from your doctor, from therapist. You have to get like a lot of people to sign off on this, and then you have to if you're a minor, you have to go with your parents, obviously. Um, yeah. And the judge, um, uh, you know, changes your name and gender marker, and it's a long process because then you have to change your birth certificate and all of this stuff. There's but just one judge in Allegheny County yeah, that she does, does this. all of them. Is this Chris Todd? No, I'm trying no, to know. Why, uh, why am I thinking her? Wait, wait. Um, You're no, blanking too. I'm blanking. That's yeah. okay. I'll she was amazing okay. though. Yeah, she was amazing. Um, and she was amazing because I he the paperwork for whatever red tape reason wasn't filed right or they couldn't find it and so they said that they Ward I think Ward yeah Christine Ward Christine Ward um and so he he's sitting there other people are getting their and and then he's called up with you and she says there's a problem yeah I can't do it um because they bring in a bunch of people and it's a closed door ceremony and people's friends and their family members are there it's way more like a wedding ceremony than it is like a court like appointment because everybody's crying because they've been working up to this point and they told him that he couldn't have his done that day and he just sobbed like I can't even like I it's like hard for me to talk about that but it was um it was amazing though because she saw how important that was to him and figured out how to do it she and he got his name changed and it was beautiful it was an amazing experience when did you did you have a sense that I mean no I didn't I mean so you are so <laughs> like you know out there and 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 you were you were shocked when he yeah, approached you and said, "I'm not. Yeah, I'm and not a girl." I think that there's like a 
a narrative in our culture that people are that particularly trans folks are pushed to say in order to get like hormone treatment or something like that to say hey I've known this since I was five years old or since I was six years old um, and then to kind of trace a narrative in order to like legitimate their transition um, but for most people gender is like a very abstract concept and I've talked to a lot of psychologists and I've done a lot of reading that says that that's while that is the case for some people that is certainly not the case for most people because even the idea of gender and trying to wrap your head around what the what that would mean needs to come like developmentally like later and so it wasn't I mean I did I mean you know your kids I did not expect him to like walk the straight and narrow but I didn't know what that was going to look like you know I just assumed he was going to be like a bohemian artist somewhere <laughs> Sure. But you don't know what that's gonna, what shape that's gonna take, or what that's gonna look like, and so I was surprised, but not, if that makes sense. But I, I, I didn't a, know it was gonna mother, be that. Though that's a rough road he's it chosen. Is a rough road. I mean, yeah. as a mom, you must be. Yeah, worried. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. hard. It's hard. Um, it's hard. But I mean, I think that's why it's my job to do everything that I can do to support him. I think we've gotten. Uh, this is pretty long here. Um, uh, Ray has written in let me just cut to the chase here how do we how do we maintain a resistance to rape culture and the sex objectification of women but promote using sex as if it was just like any other commodity I really resent the normalization of deviant behavior to assuage individual angst my granddaughter deserves a better world not just a different one Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that there a lot of people hold that position. I what I would say about that is that actually, um, the what sex workers are doing is actually negotiating consent. <laughs> you know, and I think it's something that's very different than rape culture. So, um, I know I you know I have to uh, I have to think about the best way to answer this, but. Um, I think that a lot of the work that um, feminists are doing, but also that sex, like sex workers are doing, is to talk about women's autonomy, women's sexual autonomy, um, the value of like our own value, um, and that I don't think that it's I don't think that sexual objectification can be um, uh, equated with. Commodifi commodification. I mean, I think that people have a right to um, do the sort of work that they want to do and to use their bodies in the way that they want to. And I don't think that that promotes rape culture, actually. I think that it does something that's actually quite opposite. Here, my sense is uh, dealing with, uh, you know, the marketplace, mm -hmm. okay? There is obviously a great demand Sure. The and demand actually, is there and ain't going anywhere. And if there's not, uh, if there's not workers, uh, w women yeah, willing to I meet it, wouldn't that actually engender more? Yeah. Rape? Well, I, mean, I also want to say too that like many sex workers that I've talked to, and I've also had this experience as well. Like in our, as women in the world, as women in workplaces, you in any case are like doing sexual labor all the time. <laughs> You know, uh, you're yeah. giving men attention in the way that you're expected to give men attention, and um, which I'm not, I'm not advocating for like sleeping with your boss. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the fact that there's a way in which, like in our culture, women are consistently giving like emotional labor to men and being harassed in workplaces and and not getting paid uh, and not for getting it. paid for it <laughs> so i have a yeah. really hard time saying that we shouldn't commodify the labor that women are expected to do anyways who was i talking to yesterday who said she knew a lot of people in grad school women who did phone sex work to pay for no a lot of people do it to pay for yeah. college a lot of actors too a lot of actors do yeah too. yeah yeah you know, Whippy Goldberg did phone sex. Did she? And Gabrielle Sidove has talked a lot about it. <laughs> yeah. I found out the other day Roxanne Gay did phone sex. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I Maybe I should try phone sex. <laughs> I don't think I'd be any good at it. I'm too uptight. I'm too, um, God. Well, I, I just think, you know, it's 
What about your kids? I mean, so they know you do that. What I mean, your teenagers must know. Yeah, I had to tell them, um, and I had to tell them because I gave a talk at the Humanities Festival last year, um, So, which I didn't really expect. I didn't expect to do something so, like, public, public in my own city. Um, but I had a talk accepted about masculinity and phone sex and, like, what I've learned about masculine socialization through my work in phone sex, and it was accepted. And then I just thought I would go and give the talk, but I realized uh, that it was going to be blasted with my picture all over Facebook <laughs> and all of the other social media. So I sat down with them and took them out to dinner and said, like, hey, I'm giving this talk, and it's on phone sex, and the reason that I'm giving it is because I do phone sex. And they were like, okay, cool. And <laughs> um, it was actually really funny. Do you really think funny. they really were cool about yeah, it? Yeah, and it was really funny because the younger one, he said, um, after I, he was like, well, I don't know what that is. And so I was like, actually, I talk to people, and they call me, and they want to talk about these particular issues that they're having, which wasn't specific. It was just like they want to, I want, you know, in the way that you talk to kids. And he was like, wait, so you're like a therapist that you talk about sex? And I was like, yeah, that's it. You understand it. (laughs) Pretty much that's it, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, no, they, um, you know, I don't tell them anything that they shouldn't know, obviously. Um, But they... um, Do you worry about their friends knowing and then bullying them about it? Well, I... um, I use it as an opportunity to talk to them about why it is that we should respect women and respect women's choices. Um, and that's where I'm, I'm particularly interested in raising kids who, um, who are open to, um, not, not open, I want to say something else, I want to say who are respectful of other people's choices. And, um, and I think that, um, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of conflict there because they've I don't know they've grown up with me yeah <laughs> I mean uh, they've well. grown up in um, to be very open minded um, so so yeah I mean I don't kids obviously don't want to be and should not be involved in their parents like sex life but that's not how it's presented at all I when I think some when people think about somebody who does phone sex uh, and or a sex worker. They don't think of somebody with master's degrees and, you know, almost a Ph.D. and stuff. It, but are you unusual in that way or not? I don't know. Um, Probably a little unusual. No, yeah, um, I, it's hard for me to say. I mean, I think that there it runs the gamut. There's all, all sorts of people who are attracted to phone sex, tons of really educated women who are attracted to sex work in general because it – they are getting paid better for the sort of interactions well, that they have to have anyway. Exactly, you know? and I've heard women say that I don't feel exploited, I feel empowered. Right, Which yeah. is not something women get to feel right. very much. And that's also, that's really complicated because there's a lot of talk within like sex work discourse right now about this like empowerment or exploitation <laughs> workers will say uh, or a lot of sex workers will say it's always more complicated than that like there are everything everything is is. (laughs) I mean there are moments when you feel very empowered and there are moments when you get tired of like the way you know of also like every job right the problem with sex work jobs is that there's so much negative stigma against it that sex workers feel compelled to constantly like defend their choices you know and to say oh I feel really empowered in this and this is all really wonderful and that's actually really detrimental too because that means that they don't feel like they can actually talk about the issues that they have in their jobs right. um, without that information being used against them, you know, because you wouldn't complain and say like your boss is treating you poorly in any other profession and have somebody say, oh, well, then you should just quit or you shouldn't be doing that or that's the problem because that's not how labor works, you know, and so um, I think that for a lot of women, they do feel really empowered and that's real. And then I think that there are also people who feel exploited and there's all sorts of things in between. In other words, folks, it's complicated. <laughs> it's always complicated. Yeah. We like to make things tidy. Yeah. That's good. That's bad. Right. You know, and it's just not that way. It's it not that never way. is. Yeah. Maybe once in a while it is, but I don't think, generally speaking, <laughs> it is. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. Yeah. Right. We're out of time. I got to tell you, I could talk to you for the next uh, five weeks. 
Jesse Sage writes every week mm -hmm. uh, a column in Pittsburgh City paper. How do they get your podcast? It's any yeah Peep Show podcast. It's anywhere you can find you can find it on iTunes or SoundCloud or Spotify. Is there a, is there is there any link from the Pittsburgh City Paper? Yeah, website? there's always a link um, on oh, all yeah. of my articles. There's a link to whatever we're talking about on the podcast that particular week. Okay. You can find uh, you can find it on we're on Twitter at Peep underscore Cast uh, on Facebook at Peep Show Podcast. You and can find me on my writing on Twitter and Facebook. I'm at Sapio Textual. And and all of that is um, all that information is yeah, uh, it's all yeah, it's, it's all, all there. there. So you pick <laughs> up a Pittsburgh City paper or, or just go to the website. Yeah. And Was this not better than talking about you know who? Huh? <laughs> Who's getting outfitted for his little striped suit or his orange suit or whatever the hell he's going to end up wearing because that guy is going to do Trump. Oh, I, well, I knew Trump. who you were talking about. Yeah, I, 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 you were looking at me like, what the? I don't okay. know anything about his suit, but I was trying no, to follow that. No, I think about his prison. Yeah, I, God, I hope so. <laughs> Can't happen soon enough. <laughs> All right, you guys, that's it. I thank Jesse Sage for a very interesting eye-opening hour, and um, I'll, I'll be back Monday. I hope you will, too. Okay, <laughs> have a good weekend. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.